It's a wonderful thing to be able to assemble in the name of the God of heaven. I'm reminded of Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27, which says, In great compliment to those who have, dev- who have given their lives to the service of the Master. You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Isn't it great to have Christ on this morning? Isn't it a blessingness to start this week in an opportunity like we have today to offer worship in spirit and in truth? You probably have already noticed that in the lesson we're going to be considering, it's going to be dealing with suffering. Perhaps not the most pleasant of subjects, but nonetheless one that's spoken of often in the pages of the Word of God, and it'll do us well to at least reflect for a few moments on that this morning. As you give some thought to those matters, let me just make one brief announcement as we get underway. Having to do with the character of a week from today, I'm not going to be able to be here in that my family and I will be elsewhere, and so uh, I already let the elders and the deacons know, so they're making arrangements, and there'll be another speaker for next Sunday. And certainly uh, we're looking forward to taking care of some family things in the Nashville area, and so we'll we'll be down there next, next Lord's Day. Perhaps it's wise as you and I think about suffering. Look at the middle of this slide. We each know so very well that life brings its challenges. It always does. It may proceed in smoothness for a time. It may, in fact, proceed with great pleasantness and enjoyability. And yet there will come seasons of trouble and difficulty and decisions and burdens that rest upon you. And on other occasions, there are times when, in fact, those things are faced often issues in the workplace or in the community, matters with which one has to deal in a seemingly a very frequent set of issues. Needless to say, in terms of all of that, it seems as though the text that was just read in our hearing a moment ago will have much to say to you and me about this. So let's, in fact, turn back to 1 Peter chapter 4. And as we do that, let's devote some time of study and reflection and appreciation on the very topic before us. I've divided the lesson into a few sections, and the first one is this one. It is the reality of the existence of this thing known as suffering, these unfavorable circumstances, these matters of challenge in one way or another. Let's in fact remind ourselves of the simple fact of their existence. Not as though we may in a practical way need it, but a reminder from the lips of our Lord and yea, from other inspired individuals to the reality and the guarantee of these things. Could you start with me like this? In verse number 1 of our lesson text, it says, For as much, this is chapter 4, verse 1 of 1 Peter, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh... Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. You notice with me there's that word arm. It is as though the inspired writer Peter is pointing to you and me as Christians and saying, Get ready for this. Arm yourselves with a mindset understanding this is going to happen. In the same way that our Lord, verse 1, suffered in the flesh, you be apprised of the fact that as the loyal, devoted, ardent, dedicated servant of the Master, it is going to also be your lot too. As you and I develop that a little bit like this, let's be quick to say, 
that even from the biblical standpoint, there are a number of ranges of this. Some suffering, or at least some difficulty from others, may be nothing more than verbal insult. It may be behavior on the part of others that disdains or disparages one's character. But on the other hand, there are circumstances in which your life might be threatened. In the biblical account, look at some of these things. In Acts 14, verse number 19, on the first missionary journey, wasn't it true that there was that dedicated servant known as Paul, and as he preached on that missionary journey, he came to a city of Lystra. And while there, they took him out of the city and stoned him, thinking they'd left him for dead. But thanks be unto God, he didn't perish that day. In fact, after they left, he got up and proceeded back into the city, and that same man would preach two more missionary journeys, and he would start many more congregations of the Lord. But notice what persecution brought to him. There were some that so despised his message, so antagonistically opposed what he stood for, they were willing to kill him. As you look at the next opportunity in Acts 23, 21, we notice there again it had to do with Paul, but as he stood before that audience, they spoke against what he had to say. Now, they didn't threaten on that occasion at least to kill him, but they certainly didn't like what he said. It may be that you and I will be in positions like that when in love and in truth we speak something to someone, but they don't like it. And may, may well be that as they react to that, they may have rather insulting things to say to us. And who knows but what the time may come. I realize it's not that way now, but suppose God allows things to stand and this earth, this United States of America continues the path we're treading. What will 40 years bring? Christianity is already in the spot in the crosshairs of many. Could the time come when we would be threatened with our life for assembling like we are this morning? Could the time come when, in fact, for the reading of the Word of God, we may well ourselves be threatened in person? I don't know if that will come, but it could. I submit to you that if it does, or if it doesn't, we need to arm ourselves in the same way this text has commanded us so that we'd be ready no matter what. Suffering. Persecution. Haven't you and I been guaranteed in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The level may vary, but it's going to come, isn't it? As we proceed further on that slide, wouldn't it be quick to say that maybe among the books of the New Testament there is no single book that better equips you and me with a mindset to handle suffering than the book of 1 Peter. We'll have more to say about that as the lesson proceeds this morning. But you notice the lesson text came right out of this book. And several times within it, such as 1 Peter 2 verse 12, statements like this one are found. Listen to what is asserted as it touches the subject before us. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers... They may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. You noticed it with me, didn't you? They will speak evil against you. There are going to be things about your person and mind that others are just not going to like. 
because the very nature of what we stand for is a direct condemnation of the choices of life they've made. And they're going to speak against you as evildoers. But Peter said, you glorify God. You recognize that by the example of godliness you set before them, that the text says it like this, they may by your good works. So as they look upon your life and mine, though they may not appreciate it now, who knows what a few months may bring, a few years may bring. Circumstances of their life may be such that they change and they may reflect on what your life stood for, but isn't it sweet to think that in the day of God's visitation they may glorify God? That's a great thought, isn't it? It might well be in light of that. Let's close that slide by observing this. We would all be quick to say that by its sheer nature it's just not enjoyable to face persecution. It's not a happy thing by its very character because it brings things that hurt. And none of us like to hurt. But the fact is, Jesus said it's going to be this way. Didn't the Lord say, didn't Peter say on behalf of our Lord? Verse number 1, He suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves so that you'll be ready to do the same. With those thoughts as beginning our lesson this morning, I hope we'll each be ready to have a mindset, at least an appreciation such that this matter of suffering by inspiration has been recorded and oh how valuable it is for us even in our present day today. Let's close that slide then by recalling these words of Jesus. In John 15, verse number 19, in the very shadow of the cross, it was the next morning He was going to be nailed to that old cross. And yet the previous evening while He was gathered with those apostles, and in other cases He shared lessons not only beneficial for them, but yea, beneficial for all of us. He said, the world has hated me, and it's going to hate you too. Don't you and I know that Satan is the God of this world. We're taught that expressly in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3. And inasmuch as he has the opportunity to lead things into directions opposing the way of God, just as the world was so often unwilling to accept the loveliness and truth of the Lord, they're often going to be unhappy with that which you and I stand for as well. And that may well bring some unfavorable circumstances, some suffering if you please. But as you and I appreciate it, notice where else that leads us. Let's add some details, some specifics to this passage as we see exactly what Peter said. And so look at this particular slide I've entitled, New and Old Ways. We read a moment ago in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, verses 1 and 2. Let me pick up with verse 2 now and read verses 2 and 3 that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. One of the sources that will, in fact, develop into this persecution that we've spoken of this morning has to do with this issue of old versus new ways. 
consider the following situation. Individuals, in fact, may well be such that in time past, maybe you and I or others lived like that. We encouraged it. We at least did not oppose it. But then the time came that this person obeyed the gospel. And so no longer can he do what he once did. No longer will he live that way and talk that way and go those places. And no longer will he, in fact, live a life of conduct like he once did. One of the things that may well happen is those former friends. They may just not understand. They may, in fact, insultingly and blasphemously and disparagingly now insult and make the life of this new Christian convert hard. You noticed the way Peter said it, didn't you? Could I ask you to notice the time past of our life? Verse number 3, This is what it was once like, but I don't live that way any longer. And so verse 4, They think it strange that you run not with them. Come and go to the bar with me. I'm sorry, I've become a Christian. I cannot do that. Friday afternoon after work, let's stop and have a beer or two. I'm sorry. My Lord, I love Him too much. I cannot do that. As these dirty jokes are told or these disparaging, unchristian-like comments are made and you walk up and they stop it and they want you to join in, but I can't do that anymore. You see, the time past of my life, I may have foolishly lived that way, but no longer will I. The Lord I love and the one whom I serve, I'm a new man now. But you perhaps appreciate, and maybe we've all either been there or we've known someone who has been, this distinction between old and new ways. Peter said it so much in a powerful way when he said, They think it's strange. The world has a strong inclination to desire normality, to fit in, to not be different, to not be distinct, to not stand out. But yet as Christians, we must be that because we are peculiar people, zealous of good works, to borrow the wording of Titus 2, verses 12 to 14. We've been bought by the blood of Christ, and as peculiar possessions to Him, we're guaranteed to stand out. You may notice in light of that, Christians are called new people. Now the very word that's used in Ephesians 4 is a new man. Could I ask you to notice the wording of that passage? Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 22. The particular statements and the phrases that appear there are exceedingly direct. It says that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which, after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. There's an amazing distinction, isn't there? There's an old man and there's a new man. And by inspiration, Paul said, put off that old man. It's corrupt according to the way in which its mind developed. It's corrupt in terms of what it stood for. But then we're commanded in verse number 24 to put on the new man. May I submit to you that at the moment of a person's baptism, we know there's a remarkable transformation that occurs. That person rises to walk in newness of life, Ephesians, or rather Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. 
But let's face it. It's not as though instantly every way of thinking changes. It may take a little time as that person grows in the faith, one by one to set aside all the former attributes and the sinful things of life. But this much we know. All of us as Christians, rather than conforming to what's around us, we're commanded to ever be of the mindset to put on that new man, to live after true holiness and godliness. And isn't that a lovely challenge? Isn't it a challenge filled with promise? As we develop that thought more thoroughly, notice a few of the things we are told to put away. In Colossians chapter 3, these particular statements, again, of such straightforwardness are shown to us. He says in verse 5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for the, thing, for the which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which we also walked aforetime when you lived in them. Even here Paul said there were times you lived this way. But he said you don't live like that now. You have mortified some things and that means to put to death. May I ask each of us to ever be renewed in our spirit as we too make sure we mortify what God says must be put to death and we seek to be new men, new people, ever alive with the great spirit and power spoken of within the pages of the New Testament. As you come near the close of that slide, isn't it a sweet thing to notice the changes that are wrought in individuals as the Word of God is allowed to work in them? Perhaps case in point would be the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10, there's a listing given of some things that they had been. Things like fornicators, adulterers, idolaters, homosexuals, those that were effeminate, drunkards. But he says, you aren't that way now. Isn't it great to think about the newness that comes with Jesus? But our point for the lesson this morning is that kind of change may well come. Those that were dear friends before may not be dear friends now. They may not like at all the change that's been made. They may like you the way you once were, and they're going to make it hard. They're going to talk bad about you. They're going to say some things that aren't kind. They're going to act in ways that may well be distanced, though once so close. No wonder Peter said, arm yourself. Be ready for this. It may well happen. That particular slide brings us to another one. Having looked at so far these matters, may I ask that we be very mindful also of this truth. Sometimes one of the things that persecution or difficulty or suffering can do, it may ultimately lead a person to quit Jesus. The scenario is easy to play out in their mind, isn't it? A person becomes a Christian and maybe is under the illusion that everything's going to be smooth and everything's going to be very pleasant. And the devil's not going to let it be that way. Satan is out, you see, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he will make it challenging and difficult and hard. And so when Christianity doesn't play out as smoothly as you like... Someone perhaps is quick to say, I didn't bargain for this. 
I think I'll just not go to services this morning. I think I'll just not go Wednesday night. My friends seemingly want me to go do something else, so I'm just going to go with them. There's a temptation then maybe to quit the master. No wonder Peter wrote these inspired words. Let's develop that perhaps like this. Jesus himself directly said it in Matthew 13, 21. You remember as he taught that beautiful parable known as the parable of the sower of the seed. Some of that seed fell on the wayside soil and some of it fell on the stony ground and some of it fell, of course, in thorny ground and some of it into good fertile soil. And yet as the Lord explained that parable, He very easily told us that each one of those soils are representative of individuals. Think with me about the thorny soil. As the Lord explained that, he said, the cares and persecution choke it out. What's that? Persecution. A person who then, under the duress of persecution, gives up on Christianity. Don't do that, Jesus taught. Peter again echoing the same. Don't let suffering, don't let these trials and persecutions from others cause your faith to drop into oblivion. We all know it's easy for it to occur. As you and I develop it, think about some of the famous characters of the Bible and what they endured. We might well start with Job. In that Old Testament book, there was a character who himself was so mightily blessed in a physical way and also spiritually, and yet we recall the losses he suffered in chapters 1 and 2. His cattle, his possessions were taken from him. His children died. Even his wife in Job 2 verse 9 said, Curse God and die. Even she wasn't encouraging for him. And yet... Throughout that book and the chapters that follow, we see the saga of a man who desired to remain faithful, but who at times questioned. Isn't it sweet then to appreciate that he did maintain and he did persevere? Would you and I do the same? If those kind of losses and those kinds of challenges came, would you and I endure? Surely in light of that, we can recall that rather sad refrain of Demas. In 2 Timothy 4, verse number 10, the record is given of a man who at once had been a companion of Paul. He had been a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet it says he loved this present world. And what did he do? He's forsaken me. May you and I never be like a Demas. May we never forsake the Master, never forsake the truth, even if the pressure from others would encourage us in that direction. But may we understand that those who arm themselves, again the wording of 1 Peter 4.1, are those who are ready to appreciate that these things will occur, but that we will persevere. Isn't it happy to know that over the passing of the time, messages like this have no doubt solidified and fortified the faith of many a suffering Christian. As we go forward on the slide, may I say to you, as I mentioned earlier in the lesson, that the book of 1 Peter is an inspired treatise on suffering. Five chapters, but yet 16 times in this book the word suffering occurs. 16 times in five chapters, it's the key word to the book. Often, if you just remember the key word to a given book, immediately to your mind will raise some of the greatest truths contained in that book. And so it is with 1 Peter. 16 times... 
we have, an emphasis upon the existence of suffering and how to handle it, what to do with it, and how to face it. Surely one of the highlights in light of that would be chapter 4, verse 16. Could I ask you to notice the sweet statement that's therein made? If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name. When the time comes that you and I face suffering and challenge and difficulty, let's not be ashamed because of it, but rather let us glorify the God of heaven through whom we can in fact appreciate the faithfulness that will come and the blessings due to that suffering. As we close that slide, could I ask you then to reflect on verse 1 again of our lesson text? The last part of that verse may on first reading appear a bit unusual. It says, Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Now maybe as you and I read that we might think, Now does that say then that those who suffer in the flesh won't sin anymore? Well, that's not what he teaches, it seems to me. Rather, what he asserts for us to consider is those who have a mindset of strength and faith and who thus are willing to suffer because of truth and for the sake of the Master. They will have already directed their life in such a way that they will not live a habitual life of sin. Their mindset will be directed toward the truth and away from what is unrighteousness and ungodliness. And that seems to be the point that Peter's making especially in light of the two verses that follow. Notice these individuals have already given up drinking. They already have given up fornication and lasciviousness and lusts. They have already turned their life to the point where their life is a convicted matter of godliness. May you and I so live like that. It is a life that is so powerful because it stands for the truth. As we close that slide, may we say that there are some additional truths that you and I can readily appreciate as well. I didn't think it would be wise to leave this lesson by asking us to think again about the mindset that is the Christian one toward this persecution. We each again, as the days pass, others about us often bring matters to us challenging us, often in a very unkind way. Sometimes that persecution takes an even stronger form. Maybe this person isn't promoted simply because somebody else is willing to sleep with the boss, but you're not. May I say to you, although that may not be a good thing, in terms of your career, the God in heaven who sees will reward you in the end. And He will always make sure that we have what we need in this life for the time being. He's promised that. But notice what this Christian mindset allows us to notice. The matter of persecution and the issues that accompany it were a frequent part of the teaching of the Master. Could I ask you to recall with me even some of the Beatitudes? Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Ponder that with me. The Lord said, Happy or blessed are those who are persecuted, but notice for righteousness' sake. Now, persecution for doing evil is not a blessed thing. But if when we do what's good, if when we do what's true and right and just, if we suffer for that, Jesus said, 
blessed are you. However, the next two verses go on and even extend it, amplifying it like this. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. The Lord on that occasion said, Again, blessed are they who are reviled and persecuted and when they say all manner of evil against you falsely. You see, what they say is not true, but it's not what they want, and it's not what they like. And so they disparage you, they criticize you, they blaspheme and revile you. He said, be blessed, because great's your reward in heaven. As you and I think about those matters, you and I know the New Testament teaches us that there actually are beneficial things that come into our life as a result of that persecution. In Romans 5, verses 3 and following, Paul, in fact, asked us to note this, that when tribulation does come, and notice that literal word means in the Greek, it means trouble or it means oppression or affliction. He says that's going to lead to patience. Blessed are you when you face this because when treated properly and allowed to develop rightly, it will generate within you patience. And that word patience means endurance and steadfastness. We've each appreciated that under the crucible and trial of affliction. That patience that's developed allows us to better face the problems of the future. But not only that. Paul said that patience will generate experience. Now really, the better Greek word would have led us to appreciate standing the test. Approval. Isn't that a great thing? Standing the test. Being approved by God. You'll notice that all of that began as you and I appreciated tribulation. But I don't like hardship and I don't like it because it hurts. Paul said when you face it, it will in fact, if you allow it to develop and if you handle it rightly, it will ultimately bring patience, it'll bring steadfastness, and it'll bring hope confident expectation knowing that our sojourn here in the flesh is but temporary we can look forward to a glorious and brighter day beyond in which nobody on that day of judgment will say I'm sorry I had to suffer for the Lord everything ever suffered then will be worth it when you hear him say well done thou good and faithful servant Christian suffering is such that as Peter in fact encouraged those of his day May I ask you to notice that he, in chapter 1 of his very same book, will say, it's as precious as this. It's one of the most poetic verses in the whole book. The trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Peter, what's that? The trial of your faith? As he wrote to these strangers scattered abroad, he said, When your faith is tried, look upon it as being more precious even than that of gold. I submit to you that mindset is a very strange thing to the world. The world doesn't like suffering and it doesn't like anything less than normality. 
And yet we appreciate as Christians that when others impress upon us the persecutions and the trials and the difficulties, our Christian mindset is to look upon this trial with joy, knowing the benefit and blessing that it's able to bring. Didn't James, in fact, echo a similar sentiment? In James chapter 1, he says, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. It is something that is a very great challenge, isn't it? Typically, we just don't think much and want trials, but yet we are promised both by James and by Peter and by Paul that if we will approach it properly, the trying of our faith is a good thing because it will strengthen us and it will allow us to come through in a satisfactory and enduring way. I submit to you as we come to the close of that slide, God of, the God of heaven is so powerful and so omnipotent that He actually can work through those trials to accomplish great things. Paul's a good example, isn't he? In 1 Corinthians 16, verse number 9, in the closing chapter of that book, he, re he writes about the afflictions that he was facing. But at the same breath, he made mention of the open doors that were there. There will be individuals about you and me who, seeing the duress that we face, they will be sufficiently impressed that the gospel may have an opportunity to reach them in no other easy way. They'll be so motivated, so moved, so compelled by watching the way you and I deal with the difficulties we face. They will want to know where that strength of life comes. And they too will want to know what that is. That'll be an opportunity for which the gospel can reach them. You'll notice he said there were open doors and there were also many afflictions. That brings us to the last part of the lesson this morning. It has to do with an attribute of strength and an attribute of source that you and I as suffering Christians can use. It is in fact painted all over the New Testament, but it's still as needful for you and me today as it was then. It is a community of believers. A community of those of like precious faith. And let's develop it like this. One of the greatest attributes of the church... We know that the church is the group of saved, Ephesians 5.23. And we know the church is that group headed to heaven. We understand that. But there's a very real blessing and benefit in this life when it comes to the matter of suffering. It's a great thing to appreciate the encouragement afforded by fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. When I'm suffering and when I'm enduring hardship and oppression, affliction and difficulty, I can meet with brethren who know something about that and who they can sing praises to God with me. And my faith is encouraged. And when I can share a fellowship meal with them or when they can pray for me, I know that there's someone who genuinely cares and someone who, of course, I can be there to help when they're going through trials too. Is it any wonder that we rejoice with those that rejoice and we weep with the ones that weep? To borrow the wording of Romans 12. Let love be without dissimulation, Romans 12 verse 9. I would submit to you in light of these things, that makes it unthinkable to purposely miss the services of the church. 
when there are times of affliction and hardship and duress in my life, this is the place above all others that I need to be. I need to be here for the encouragement and the strength and edification that this body can provide. To be willfully absent says a whole lot about my faith. It says my faith's not very strong. It says my dedication to the Lord's not very great. It says my devotion to Him is not very intense. But when I'm here no matter what then I appreciate what this stands for and what it means, and that even if duress and problems were to come, I'm still going to find a way to worship as the God of heaven has dictated. It is something to consider. If matters in this country were to become such that Christianity is even more persecuted, and again, that day may well come. What if there was regulation and law that forbade us to gather to worship on Sunday? Would we still find a way? Would we still assemble to meet with those of like precious faith? May I submit to you, this needs to be more precious to us than anything else. And if so, we'd be willing to die for His cause if it came to that. In Revelation 12, 11, that's what it says. Three things that defeat the devil. Taken in unison, they are the blood of the Lamb, the Word of God, and being willing to die for His cause. May you and I appreciate that there is so much taught about suffering. And as we close that particular slide, aren't we highlighted the beautiful example we can be to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? And we are commanded to love the brotherhood. Very same book, chapter 2, verse 17. This morning as we close this lesson, I hope that our discussion of suffering has reminded us of some amazing matters some powerful truths. Here are just some summary statements. We've seen a very few things, and these are, are my attempt to summarize them. First, as a faithful Christian, there are going to be times we suffer. Unfavorable matters are going to develop. But in light of that, one of the reasons why may be that you and I are not like we once were. We're now Christian, and those old ways have been put away, and a new man is in place. Thirdly, we appreciated that though there may be the temptation then to not endure, the Lord Himself taught, He that endureth to the end shall be saved, Matthew 10, 22. And finally, the Christian mindset is one of seeing past the immediate matters into what that suffering may bring. Strength and faith and encouragement and what the New Testament calls steadfastness and hope. And finally, may we never lose sight of the blessing of the Christian fellowship we have in the church. People who can be there to help us and encourage us and motivate us and who can be powerful examples of good. Today, are you and I armed with the same mind the Lord had? 1 Peter 4.1 commands us that we should. May we all be armed properly so that in persecution we'll be ready to handle it rightly. And even in great moments of duress, if those should come, we too will be faithful unto death. Today, if there be anybody in the audience and things aren't well with your soul, maybe you've never become a Christian. That certainly would be one way that could happen. And may we say that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, shedding His blood, and that blood can cleanse you from sin, and it can aid you to become armed to face whatever this life may throw your way. You need to obey the gospel. 
if you reach that age of knowing wrong from right and you know that the Lord died for you, why not believe in Him with all your heart? Commanded in John 8, 24. Repent of your sins, Luke 13, 5. Confess His name as a Son of God, Matthew 10, 32 and 3. And be baptized for the remission of your sins. That's commanded in Mark 16, 16. And we'd be delighted to assist you in that today. If though you have known the way of faithfulness at one time, but you have allowed persecutions to cause you to falter. You haven't been the example for Christ you should have been. Maybe you've said and done things you shouldn't have done, and others have every reason to question your commitment to the, to the Master. May I say, come back at once to your, to your first love. Come back to Jesus. He wants you to be faithful at His side. If we can, in fact, pray to God for your faithfulness and for your forgiveness, we'd be delighted. You need to confess those matters, and you, of course, need to repent of them. If we could pray to God for you today, let us do it. We're about to stand in a moment and sing this song of encouragement. If anyone, one or more, would wish to come, why not do it now? While together we stand and while we sing.